1: Detailed.
2: Good morning, and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab, and today's guest is beyond exceptional. She is an ICU nurse who is on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. She is working alongside a lot of people who are putting in overtime, dealing with mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion while literally saving lives. She is a hero, and she's with us today. A warm welcome to Taylor Chase Myers. Hi, Taylor.
3: Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for having
2: me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Taylor, I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do because we hear about it, but it's different when you're actually, I'm sure, sort of boots on the ground. You know, you work right here in Boston. You're an ICU nurse at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. You've worked through some pretty tough situations in the past, um, including, I think, caring for some of the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing and the trauma ward, and Now here we are, we've got another crisis, this one on a worldwide scale. What is it like right now at the hospital?
3: Um, At the hospital, it is uh, incredibly tense. Um, We just have so, so many patients, um, particularly ICU patients, and they're all um, COVID-19, and the capacity for the hospital um, is outrun for the ICU patients. So we're kind of just working on a kind of mass casualty um, like policy to you know take care of all of these patients, and we just are all exhausted. Um, we're trying to give the most support to the patients and the families through all of this, and we're picking up extra hours um, and just. You know, it's a tough time.
2: Yeah. And this is, you know, you just mentioned this because, you know, the very sick patients can't have their family members by their side. How do you guys manage that?
3: It's honestly so heartbreaking. Um, If all of us were in the same situation with our family or us personally, you know, during their darkest hour... During a pandemic, when they're the sickest, all you want is your family member by your side, right. and all the family member wants is to be with their loved one. And we've been working on trying to do as many FaceTimes as possible. Um, a lot of our patients are intubated and with like, on a ventilator, so they can't necessarily speak to their family, but it gives them uh, the family member some solace that um, the nurses are there with them, and we're giving them all support. We. Always ask um, every family for the patient's like favorite music so we can put that on in the background, um, anything to really try to make this experience um, and this healing process less isolating. Yeah.
2: And I mean, it's particularly tough for you guys as well because you're in uh, personal protective equipment. You guys are sort of covered from head to toe and you say there's still not enough of that. And in fact, you have... I think you said a sister who's a physician over on the west coast that's sort of leading a charge to get more of that available.
3: Yeah, so it's not honestly just our hospital, it's literally most every hospital in the nation. Um, you know, we just don't have enough masks, um, enough eyewear and it's it's um it's a problem because if the healthcare workers get sick, then really the ship goes down and um and no one wants to obviously bring any sickness home to their families. And it's tough. So my sister, Constance Chase, um, she's an attending physician on the West Coast um, in the University of California, San Diego, the so UCSD hospital. Yeah. And um, her and two other colleagues started about a month ago on change.org, a, a petition to um, make like PPE um, more, you know, for all of the hospitals and just really put it out there that that is a problem. And there was 1.6 um, million signatures for that. They then um, followed it up with a nonprofit called Frontline PPE Now and is working with um, the nonprofit Direct Relief to get donations to get PPE directly to all the hospitals. So everyone's just trying to play their part so we can kind of get through this pandemic.
2: And I feel like the community has been coming out in droves to support you all. Um, You know, they're writing messages on sidewalks. They're putting signs on their front doors. They're clapping during the change of shifts. What does that mean to you guys?
3: The unity is so um, heart-wrenching, and it really just makes us feel like we're part of a whole community and um, it gets us through each day and each long shift to know that like a neighbor has like sent over some cookies they made or wrote a little note or someone made some like homemade bath, you know, even though for the healthcare workers, that's not quite enough for um, PPE, but it's still such a a lovely um, gesture that-
2: Well, I'm sure it it makes you feel, feel yeah, and it makes you feel appreciated that you're valued.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
2: and I feel that way every time I think of people in the medical profession, and it sounds cliche, I know, to say, you know, it's a calling, it's not a job, but I have a sister who's a nurse, and my best friend from college is a doctor, and I definitely feel like it's something that they wanted to do it's something sort sort of inherent in their personality and something they wanted to do from a young age did you always know this is what you were meant to do
3: um i did so i feel like the majority of nurses do it's not everyone knows that but i feel like the majority of nurses know that that's what they want to do as a, 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 from a young age but that's like the profession they want to go in i knew it when i was eight years old and um uh, my grandfather was in hospice in um, our house, and we were taking care of him. And I told my mom, I was like, I want to be a nurse someday. And um, and my mom is as a retired nurse, and um, I ever since then I never changed my mind. I still wouldn't change my mind or my profession. I I know and always have wanted to be a nurse.
2: Is this the toughest time in your professional career that you can remember? Because you've gone through some some pretty, you have helped patients through some pretty traumatic times.
3: Yeah. So I've been an ICU nurse for, um, 12 years and, um, I was a nurse in the trauma ICU during the Boston marathon bombing, which was also a very difficult time, super trying another crisis. And, and, you know, this just is so much more prolonged than that Um, it's weeks on end and you feel nervous for yourself for getting sick and nervous for your families because this virus is not just for the old and the weak and the immunocompromised there are tons of young um, healthy patients who are extremely sick with this so I would definitely say this is probably the toughest um, experience in my career of being um, a nurse.
2: If you are just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Today, we have a true hero working on the front lines during the pandemic. She is Taylor Chase Myers, an ICU nurse at Beth Israel, who is working tirelessly to provide care to COVID-19 patients. Taylor was recently nominated and recognized by Jimmy Kimmel for the work she and her colleagues are doing. Let's talk more about that now. Um, Here's the fun part of it, Taylor. Taylor you were nominated by a fellow worker, her name's Amanda Marr, uh, for a healthcare appreciation interview on Jimmy Kimmel, and you were actually selected. Talk to talk us sort of through that. When did you know, and how long did you have to prepare?
3: <laughs> Honestly, it was crazy. Uh, last Tuesday um, was almost, like a huge whirlwind. I um, was going on a walk with my children and I get um, a text message from my fellow nurse co-worker who's fabulous. She's an excellent nurse. Um, she's per DM now in the CVICU um, and is an NP school but she nominated me to Jimmy Kimmel for this healthcare appreciation and she asked if I would be willing to do it and the producers were going to get in touch with me that day to then also interview that day. So I found out at 11 I talked with the producers around one, and I interviewed with Jimmy at five. It, it, I can't even say how crazy the day was. I, I I couldn't believe it myself, and honestly, it felt like a whole blackout. I don't even remember how everything
2: went down. <laughs> what was <laughs> What was Jimmy Kimmel like? Is he like? I mean, is he the same kind of guy we see on air?
3: Oh, absolutely. He is um, so kind-hearted and lovely. Um, we didn't obviously speak too much because he was recording the whole show, but so appreciative. And um, and really, it was an honor to be on the show.
2: Were you nervous? A hundred percent. I, I was, know, you're you like, know, well... You it was. Into,
3: you don't go into nursing for the fame or any of that. <laughs> <laughs> nursing is not that career. So, yes, yeah, I was incredibly nervous.
2: And he awarded you. I mean, he didn't only give you the recognition, the public recognition, the public shout out of appreciation, but he actually gave you a monetary award. Talk a little bit about that.
3: Uh, I did not know anything about that until he actually said it on the show. And I was so like crazy surprised, you know, that was so gracious and so generous. I, I can't, I still can't really believe it. Um, It was through Lavazza and coffee, and they donated forty five hundred bags of coffee to our hospital, and then I guess fifty thousand bags of coffee to other hospitals around the nation. Wow! um, Gave me personally ten thousand dollars, and I I mean, I've never won like much on a scratch ticket, let alone like anything like this. I've always worked hard um, for anything I've ever gotten, so this was. I just can't even I can't even believe it.
2: Well deserved though. What are you gonna do with the money? Have you thought about that? Have you thought that far ahead?
3: Um honestly my husband and I talked about it just a little bit, but I've been working so much that we really haven't discussed it all that much. Um, you know, we'll probably put a lot of it away towards um our children's future college education. I know they're both three at eighteen months, but that's far down the line, but um and probably do something a little bit special for
2: us. Oh, God, both yes. Hard. You need to, even if it's like a weekend away, once all of this, I don't want to say is over, at least calms down, once it's safe to do so, you guys at least need to celebrate yourselves and do a weekend away um, for sure. Yeah. And you you mentioned your kids. They're little, three and one. Um, how is it managing a young family and doing the kind of crazy hours that you're doing?
3: it's challenging. I mean, my kids are like the light of my life. So, you know, they bring such an innocence to this crazy situation and I work nights. Um, so I'll come home and sleep. Um, and my husband will watch them while he's working and then I'll wake up after like four or five hours and then take over. So the lack of sleep is real. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but my, my kids, you know, they don't obviously don't truly understand the situation. Um, and they're just happy to have snacks and play with me and have mom and dad home. So um, so that kind of gives it a little ease through all of this.
2: And talk about dad, because he's kind of also um, helping frontline workers as well. I mean, you are a frontline worker. He's helping, he's an attorney, and you said he's working to assist uh, people who are trying to find child care options. Um, talk about what he's doing.
3: Yeah. So um, my husband is the deputy general counsel um, for the Department of Early Education and Care for the state of Massachusetts. And um, when everything went down, all the daycares and child cares and preschools closed. Um, and then obviously all of the other schools, but those are the ones that he um, kind of oversees as an attorney. They, implemented emergency child care for all the frontline workers um of massachusetts and that was a very like tenuous like difficult thing to like kind of uproot and, and start and it's for not just healthcare care workers but every grocery store worker oh. anyone who has to be at work um during this time to kind of have that ease and it's all paid for by the state
2: Wow. So you guys are quite a team. Uh, as they get older, I know they're too young now you can't really explain to them what you do or even what's going on in the world because your kids are, are are babies. But what is it that you would hope that they will learn from the work that you and your husband do?
3: You know, I that's a good question. I think honestly, I just want them to be good people. You know, happy and have the right value system and that in a crisis like this and, and just in daily life, it takes so many people to make things work and, and in a crisis, so many people play their part to get through it. And um, that's kind of what my husband and I are doing and to be kind and compassionate human beings and that's what i want them to um, want to pass on to my children.
2: Yeah. What would you say um, in terms of being a nurse or even a healthcare worker in general What would you say is the best part? What keeps you in it? Because it's not an easy job. It's stressful. It's long hours. uh, You take some risks with your own health. Why do you do it?
3: I'm a nurse. Um, As I said before, there's not for the fame, not for the money, not for the hours. Um, I'm a nurse because I love taking care of um, patients and You know, the patients and the families are why I do it. I've been in the ICU, and um, they're the sickest of all the patients in the hospital. And just seeing them get through, you know, each day, like, one step at a time is, like, so um, rewarding for me. And um, and that's kind of why I do it.
2: You must get pretty close to the family members. I mean, especially now during the pandemic because you are – their only form of communication. So you must get really close to spouses, children, uh, caretakers, things like that.
3: Absolutely. Um, I love that relationship. And, you know, I have family members call in and ask for me and um, and I and I want them to and and they want me to work every night of the week and I can't Right, <laughs> right. I can't, but,
2: right. Is but, Taylor yeah. on tonight? Is Taylor on yeah and then you're like I can't do seven nights a week. I have to sleep sometime.
3: <laughs> and, and they and they know that and they laugh, but they actually, you know, we get to know each other because they get to know that I have a family as well. And and um I think just letting them know that you know, their loved one is not alone during this and I'm there. And, um, my fellow coworkers who are excellent are there and we are going to get them through this, um, is really what, you know, I, I try to portray. How
2: do you manage the personal, the, I guess the emotional baggage? Like, how do you, like, I'm sure that you've lost some patience, um, And you've had to talk to family members about some pretty difficult things or setbacks that patients are having. How do you personally, when you go home, how do you deal with that anxiety, that stress, that emotion that that I'm sure is hard to sometimes separate?
3: Yeah, it it really is. And um, especially during these times, you run on adrenaline to do the care that you have to do. Um, But, you know, we lean on each other and we've cried together. Um, We've laughed too. And, you know, you try to, you try your best because honestly, you know, otherwise if you just melted constantly, you couldn't do your job. But when I get home, I have cried many times on the drive home. Um, My husband is so supportive and, and really, you know, Embraces me and understands that, like, what we're doing is not easy. And we've seen, like, fellow coworkers um, or in the all of Boston who passed away. Um, and it's just, like, it's not easy.
2: You mentioned your coworkers, and I want to talk about that. You happen to work in one of the most respected hospitals in the, I was going to say, country in the world, uh, Beth Israel, which is um, pretty impressive. But it must be a pretty special place. And What's it like? What's the community of healthcare workers like in terms of supporting each other as colleagues?
3: We're without a doubt united. I mean, we lean on each other. It's like a family, you know, definitely tense area, you know, in high stress, people can get stressed out. But the fact is, we all know that we, we love each other. We lean on each other and um, and not just this, but in daily life. and. And that's honestly what gets us through. We're strong and resilient. We're compassionate, and you know we use all the courage we can to like go through um, this pandemic.
2: Are you the um, hero in the in the break room these days after the forty five hundred pounds of coffee was delivered? <laughs>
3: I think, mean, honestly, well, everyone jokes around. They said, why, why am I talking to the little people? I'm so famous. I was like, oh, my God, that's not true. I was
2: just going to say you must be getting some ribbing now from your coworkers because you've been he- on Magic, on our morning show on Magic, now on Exceptional Women. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Kimmel, a national celebrity, had you on. So I don't know. It's your, It maybe it's your, I was going to say 15 minutes of fame, but it could go on longer than that.
3: <laughs> I mean, honestly I, I still think this is a whirlwind I think I feel like I'm gonna wake up in a month and be like what just happened
2: <laughs> um, well let's yeah, hope no, that I, when you wake up in a month this has you know at least the curve is starting to flatten or at least we're on the downside of it um are, are you absolutely. seeing any evidence of that I know you're not um an expert in terms of that kind of thing but um I know we're still in the surge but are you guys hopeful that we're going to start to see a downturn in this soon?
3: Um, it's honestly, you know, it's hard to have a crystal ball and and really determine when it's going to end or p- peter out. But right now, we do know in the next like ten days that this is going probably probably going to be the real peak yeah. in Massachusetts, yeah, and, and the surge, and it's going to be the hardest. And we are already. Um, at high, high capacity, and so are all of um, the other hospitals in Boston, Mm -hmm. but the one good thing is, you know, Boston Strong is not (laughs) just a little phrase. That's a very true statement, and all of the hospitals have got together and are working together. um, Oh, that's awesome. You know, spread out the patients, so not one hospital is too overrun, even though we're all overrun. But um, yeah, you know, and I mean, and just our leaders.
2: Yeah. And our leadership has been great. I think the governor and the mayor have been great and they're putting field hospitals in place. And and I do think you're right. I think we are Boston strong and we show it. We show our true colors every time we're in a tough situation like this. Um, and this is definitely no exception.
3: I totally
2: agree. Well, thank you, Taylor. We're almost out of time. I just want to thank you for being with us today. And and thank you to all the frontline healthcare workers who are quite literally out saving lives every single day. We salute you and we appreciate you more than you know.
3: Oh, thank you so much. And all of your support means the world.
2: I'm Sue Tab, and you've been listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Remember that exceptional women are everywhere. We talk to celebrities and authors and CEOs, but we're also interested in your neighbors and coworkers and friends who are out quietly making, making an impact in their communities. We want to thank the healthcare workers, the first responders, the essential employees, and all who are coming together during this health crisis to help keep people well and safe during these unprecedented times. Magic is here so you can stay connected and informed. Thanks for listening, and please join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7.
4: I'm Karina Delgado. Now, I know with the COVID-19 pandemic taking up so much of our mental space, it's easy to forget that things like Earth Day are right around the corner. But I am on the phone today with the Vice President of Conservation International to speak about our Earth, the environment and the COVID-19 crisis and how the two are inextricably intertwined. Hi, Shyla. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for calling, Karina. I'm doing really well. Thanks. How are you?
4: I am doing the best that I can every single day, just staying grateful and washing my hands.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Same here.
4: If you could just please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners.
0: Great, thanks, my name is Shaila Raghav. I am the vice president of climate change at conservation international. And my role is to oversee, um, our climate change strategy and programs. Um, conservation international is present in about 30 countries around the world. And we have, um, our headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia. And our mission is really about protecting nature for the well-being of humanity. And so the types of solutions that I work on are stopping deforestation, providing support and guidance to governments and to local communities to find um, investment solutions, policy solutions to protect nature for a more sustainable and healthy future.
4: Sure. Speaking of protection, we are all in protective mode right now. Protect our health, protect our families, protect our community. With that said, I think comes a sense of question and people are speculating on whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic is a result of climate change. Can you speak to that a little bit for me?
0: yeah i think that's a really really important question and i think that our tendency is always to try to find connections between trends but also to be able to find um or or get some good news right or find a silver lining uh amidst everything that we're experiencing um there isn't really any strong evidence that climate change is a direct cause of the coronavirus and its spread um, but what we can what we do know is that climate change is um, has a direct influence on the migration of species okay. and so in particular what we're seeing is that ranges of species whether it's even trees and and plants where they can grow, or migratory patterns of species like fish or even birds and insects. These are all changing because of shifts in temperature and precipitation that is being caused by climate change. But I'd also like to highlight the fact that climate change is is something that could multiply the losses and damages in times of crisis. So imagine if on top of dealing with COVID-19, we were also experiencing a drought or cataclysmic fires like we saw in Australia or in the Amazon. Well, it would really just have the impact of exacerbating those inequalities.
4: For example, we have seen some um, unusual earthquakes as well as tornadoes happening right now. And as we experience in our own communities the COVID-19 crisis, I can only imagine the devastation somewhere that was you know, hit by a tornado during a time like this.
0: Exactly. And, and climate change can can also affect human health even more by putting strain on vulnerable populations or even increasing um, things like heat stress or the spread of disease vectors uh, like mosquitoes that um, increase incidence of, of diseases like malaria. And so the human health implications are really going to be even more difficult to deal with when compounded with viruses and diseases like COVID-19. So I really think the main message here is that climate change and human health are um, inextricably linked.
4: Mm. Now, what we're seeing um, as a result of people uh, social distancing and isolating in their homes is that pollution levels have dropped around the world as people stay home. Is this a hidden benefit of the pandemic? Do you think this will inspire people to limit their fossil fuel use once things
0: get back to normal yeah I think that's that's also another another um um, uh, trend that we're seeing so much in the news. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think everyone's looking for something positive to come out of, um, of, of all of the, the negative consequences of COVID-19. But I wouldn't necessarily call the drop in air pollution levels a hidden benefit, because they're likely just going to be temporary. And we haven't really, as a society, made the systemic shift that are needed for these gains to persist or be sustained in the long-term. So wh- the, the way that I'd rather look at some of these short-term benefits is to focus on, on preparation and how we could have prepared better. Mm-hmm. So imagine if we had listened to the warnings from ep- epidemiologists and others and, and prepared, right, five, six, ten years ago. How different would that outcome have been um, in terms of how we're dealing with and experiencing losses due, due to this crisis right now? How would we have changed the future and how would we have acted to do that um, even just so that, little, that the virus could be contained or mitigated and our economy could be more resilient and prepared for that? So I think with climate change, the timeline is very clear and so are the consequences. Mm. So the question that we have now is how will we use these next few years knowing what we know now and knowing that we have the opportunity to prepare better and to, to create a more resilient economy? so that we, we, we don't have to lose jobs, we don't have to decimate economy, our economy. We can actually address climate change by building new and clean and thriving economies. So that's really what I hope we can take away from um, our, our lessons from, from dealing with COVID-19.
4: Oh, absolutely. Because learning from the tragedy is the most important part of triumph over adversity. That said, what can we do to make those preparations?
0: Yeah. So in the next 10 years, the science is really clear. Um, Emissions need to be halved by 2030. So we we basically have a decade to cut our emissions in half. And we know the types of solutions that, that can get us there. So it's clean and renewable energy. It's greening our agriculture system and our food system through regenerative agriculture and shifting towards more of a plant based diet. Um, shifting to public transportation, um, reduction of overall consumption like plastics and other products that take a lot of energy to produce. So making those immediate changes now in our infrastructure, in our decisions and our patterns today can set us up to be in a position to really achieve that outcome over the next 10 years. Um, The second thing I would say is that Since climate change is fundamentally like COVID-19, a global crisis, it's going to require worldwide cooperation and attention to really focus on on a coherent and and coordinated global response where um, we can see a basis for for global signals, global um, uh, alignment and redirecting of financial flows. Um, and so that's the second thing I would say is just really band together um, um, as uh, through political signals and political processes that can help um, develop a global response. And then the last thing I would say is to support Um, natural climate solutions, which includes planting of trees, restoration of natural ecosystems, and protection of standing forests. This is really my personal passion um, because a third or more of the solution to climate change comes from protecting and restoring nature. Um, And guess what? These solutions can also help maintain um, the resilience of our planet, Um, provide us with clean air and clean water, and might also very well prevent the spread of viruses that so severely affect human health as well.
4: I absolutely agree 100% in that it is going to require everyone working together on the same page in order to surmount seemingly impossible feats, for sure. One last thing, Shyla, before uh, I let you go, what is one way individuals can give back to nature and be a part of the bigger climate solution at the same time?
0: Yeah, 2020 is such an important year, so I think making um, addressing climate change a priority, making it a voting issue. An investment lens when you're looking at where you put your investments, your retirement portfolios, um, make it demands that we that that we make as shareholders and consumers of many large companies talking about it more. There's really um, something that every single person can do, no matter what your skill set, to activate creativity and and kind of that ideation process of bringing solutions to the market. Um, the other thing that people can do is. Um, use a tool that we developed that is available on our web page. It's a carbon calculator and it allows users to measure their carbon footprint and give back to conservation projects designed to keep forest standing and to help um, scale up restoration efforts. So um, listeners can visit conservation.org calculator. And after using the calculator and uh, assessing their carbon footprint, they can learn more about reforestation and conservation projects to which a donation can help um, support um, forests in the Amazon in places like Peru or Kenya. Um, and so these are this is really something specific and tangible that that everyone can do um, immediately um, and can also help us to maintain our uh optimism, our hope, and our sense of community um, in coming together around addressing climate change and and, and protecting our planet for, for our future.
4: Oh, I absolutely love that. Okay, so while our listeners have, you know, a little bit of time on their hands and they're on their computers, they can check <laughs> out that carbon calculator. Can you give us the website one more time, please?
0: Absolutely. It's conservation.org slash calculator. I love it.
4: All right, Shaila, thank you so much for speaking with us today. You stay safe out there. Thank you, Karina.